السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله وصلى الله وسلم وبارك على حبيبنا ونبينا رسول الله خاتم الأنبياء والمرسلين الهاشمي العربي القرشي الأمي صلوات الله وسلامه عليه اللهم صل وسلم عليه في الأولين وفي الآخرين وفي الملأ الأعلى إلى يوم الدين صلاة تنجينا بها من الأهوال والآفات وترفع بها عنا القربات اللهم اجعل اجتماعنا هذا اجتماعا مرحوما واجعل تفرقنا من بعده تفرقا معصوما اللهم لا تجعل فينا ولا من بيننا شقيا ولا محروما اللهم كن مع إخواننا المستضعفين في فلسطين اللهم داوي مرضاهم اللهم اشف مرضاهم وداوي جرحاهم وتقبل شهداءهم اللهم عجل النصر يا أرحم الراحمين We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to be with our brothers and sisters in Palestine May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, give them a speedy, recover, a speedy uh, recovery to those who uh, have been hurt except their martyrs May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, heal the sick uh, and grant them a uh, victory bi'idnillah that is near We ask Allah azza wa to allow this gathering bi'idnillah to be a gathering in which we depart and all of our shortcomings are forgiven. And we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to allow us to be an embodiment of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, everything that we learn, everything that we take in, to allow this to be uh, a means of us getting uh, nearer and closer to uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala by emulating His beloved seal of all prophets, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Uh, we're continuing on the series uh, on the Sirah and Nabawiyah, our prophetic biography. And since the sessions uh, started, we talked about the, object- uh, the objectives and the method, uh, the purpose and the benefit of studying the Sirah. Um, over the last uh, several sessions, we've talked about pre-Islamic society and the conditions that existed before the birth of Rasulullah uh, let alone the, the you know the prophethood being given to the prophet sallallahu and the the wahi the divine revelation arriving uh, even before the birth of uh, of the prophet sallallahu in the previous session we talked about you know we're pretty much at the brink of getting to know the immediate family of the prophet sallallahu such as his grandfather his uncles and of course his parents bi'idnillah uh, and then getting into the actual birth of Rasulullah Sallallahu uh, The previous session, <clears throat> we talked about kind of an introduction to learning about his family, particularly his who, his grandfather. What was his name? Abdul Muttalib. And <clears throat> we were talking about a couple of the key landmark incidents that occurred very close to the birth of Rasulullah Sallallahu uh, and the thing about this is, uh, you know, it's not important to know just as an issue of history. Uh, it's not just a random fact about pre-Islamic history, but it's very important and it's pertinent because as the scholars of Sirah, uh, they point out that these major events were occurring almost as a foretelling of the birth of Rasulullah Sallallahu Right prior before his birth, it was foretelling his birth coming, Sallallahu uh, and that's something monumental, right? Something great, something that is about to change the course of humanity and the world as we know it. So something major and drastic is about to happen. You know, something uh, is about to occur. 
And so these events were foretelling <coughs> of the great event uh, that was the birth of Rasulullah Sallam. Um, and it directly involved the grandfather of the Prophet Sallam. And of course, again, that's not a coincidence. There is no such thing that Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala does something as a coincidence. Everything is divinely decreed and and destined, right? Uh, and these incidents involved places that were very sacred, uh, even within the Islamic tradition, from the teachings of Rasulullah Sallam. Okay. So we talked about two major incidents last time. If you guys remember, the first one was was what that kind of really defined the role of Abdul Muttalib. The first incident was rediscovering of, of Zamzam. That was the majority of what we talked about, the rediscovering of the well of Zamzam. Uh, and that well, of course, we talked about its origins and how it became lost and buried after a certain amount of time. And then, of course, Abdul Muttalib, uh, the grandfather of Rasulullah was given the location of uh, the wealth through a dream. And he was able to go and he was able to uh, dig that up. And so he was given the blessing of being the person who uncovered this great blessing that we knew uh, was the well of Zamzam. And we understand very well, you know, with even <clears throat> um, the Islamic significance of it. I talked about it with some textual, you know, uh, evidence uh, last time, uh, the benefits and things of that of Zamzam uh, of, from the hadith that we have, uh, from the hadith that we have of Rasulullah Sallallahu um, And, uh, you know, and why it's obviously important to us. The second event that we got into, at least, you know, we talked a little bit about it, the beginning of the conversation was what? Does anybody remember? Abraha, the invasion of the elephants, right? Uh, you said Abraha, right? Yeah. The invasion of the, of the elephants. Um, when, uh, when we talked about, again, beginning that, uh, that conversation, uh, the year of the elephant, Amul Fil, what we call. And I told you that uh, that year in which the Prophet ﷺ was born is known again as Amul Fil. And that within itself is indicative of how huge this event was and how it you know, was understood by the people of that time that this defined them. This, 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 uh, this year defined them. This was something that literally defined these people. Uh, it was, uh, you know, there's, every time there's a major event in a generation of people, uh, they identify with that great event, right? Uh, like everybody knows about that great event. Everybody knows where they were when that happened, what was going on. Um, for our generation, maybe in a little older, 9-11 was like the huge event of our, of our era, you could say. Everybody knows where they were at during 9-11, where, you know, were they in school, were they at work? Uh, probably all of, you, all of us were like little kids, but, but um, you, you, you perhaps recall, like that was like such a great, uh, uh, like um, uh, not an incident, but a great moment in which you remember everything that was going on, right? Um, uh, like you won't forget that, subhanAllah. And, and, and people begin to be like, that's, that's known, you know, exactly what was going on, you know, during that time. <clears throat> so again, uh, that was, uh, that was the great, uh, event or, during that, that era, which was Amul Fil. everybody associated with that. Everybody knew 
what was going on during Amul Fil. It became like a monumental mark during history, uh, how we count years, things of that nature. How many years after Amul Fil was it? How many years before Amul Fil was it? Right? Uh, it became one of those 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 markers for time. Okay. Uh, we talked a little bit about the history uh, of Yemen and exactly who was in power in Yemen at that time and how it came to power. And we talked about uh, a little bit about the history. Uh, we got to know it a little bit better, a little bit more. Uh, we knew of the infamous, this infamous individual named Abraha, right? We mentioned him, a name that you heard at weekend school, Arabi school growing up. You know, everybody has heard of Abraha and, 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 and this story. It's nothing new or familiar. And we got to know a little bit about him, what he was motivated by. What inspired uh, what, what what inspired him to do what he did, right? Uh, what exactly led up to do what he wanted to do? Um, why he was pushed literally to the brink, okay, um, and was willing to do something so heinous like this this great act of uh, knocking down the Kaaba, right? And we talked about that he built what? What did he build? Yes, a big uh, like a big cathedral, right? And that place does anybody remember the name Qulais okay it was called Qulais he named it right <clears throat> and it's still known till today people can go it's like a tourist attraction right the location of where it was at uh, people can go and they can uh, you know uh, visit there um, and take selfies with it um, if you prefer okay um, so he builds the sacred space um, and, and I talked about, uh, about how Abraha, you know, while he was obviously somebody who was religious, okay, he identified with Christianity, he was a Christian, uh, nevertheless, he was a military strategist, okay? He was an economic, a military strategist, he was a leader, he was a leader, that was his identity, okay? So he wasn't this priest king or this priest leader, Okay, he was religious, but he was he did not identify as that uh, type of uh, uh, individual. He identified it as a military strategist, a a a a, a general, right? Uh, you know, that's who he was. So, building a cathedral for him was a strategy move. It was strategic. Okay, it wasn't like a a pure religious uh, based uh, you know type of action that he was doing. Okay. It wasn't like this, this pure devotion that he had for religion, but nevertheless, uh, it was again, a, a strategic move on his end, how he could bring viability back, uh, to this area that had been decimated. Okay. That had been ravaged, uh, that had been, you know, bleak for so long. Uh, there were famines, there were droughts. There were floods, there were natural disasters uh, after natural disaster that occurred that let this entire region uh, to be completely depleted, okay? Uh, so uh, he wanted to make his place. He wanted to make his place, his homeland. Uh, so it was like, it was patriotic for him. This was like an event that he, uh, th that he really had love for doing, okay? He wanted to make it viable again. Um, so he builds this cathedral and he says, we'll be able to attract the masses. We'll be able to attract the masses and we'll bring them back, the people back, just like they go to Mecca to see the Kaaba. We'll bring them to uh, this, this, this cathedral here, okay? So he had his, set, his eyes set on the Kaaba. This was like a competition for him. 
This was a competition for him. It's like, you know, uh, we'll build something that rivals, uh, you know, uh, the Kaaba and we'll bring people to our place. We'll bring people our way. We'll let our land flourish just as Mecca flourishes. You know, the land of Hijaz flourishes. We'll let our, our land flourish. Okay. So what ended up happening at that time, he wrote a letter uh, to the Najashi, the king of Abyssinia. And he wrote a letter to him saying that I've built a place that'll make you proud. And I've devoted, I dedicated, and I've built, you know, for you, uh, you know, in your name, you, you, could, you could say. And I've built so that way we can rede redirect people from Mecca here, bring people here. And so now this becomes news. You know, people like to talk, people like to gossip. This became uh, public information, okay? Like, uh, like Abraha's built his own shop and he's trying to compete, you know, with our store here. You know, he's built his own place and he's competing with us. Almost that type of, uh, you know, mentality. So one of the Arab uh, people of that area, he goes, he visits this, this huge cathedral. He goes in there, he violates it, he vandalizes it. Right. And specifically the narration mentions, uh, talks about the fact that he literally used the restroom uh, inside of it. Uh, you know, he basically did his business uh, in, in, in the middle of the cathedral. And not only that, he goes above and beyond. And what, he, what does he do? Uh, he takes his excrements, akramakumullah, and rubs it all over. You know what I mean? The, the, the cathedral, all over, you know, the decorations, the ornate fixtures, you know. He really did like a, a number on the place, literally number two. Okay, so <laughs> you guys see what I did there? So uh, this guy is just going at it and uh, you know, he leaves. The next day, uh, you know, Abraha's made aware of this. People discover this and it's brought to his attention, Abraha's attention right away that his project, literally his baby, right? Uh, you know, he's enraged. He's enraged. Nothing makes sense to him anymore. He's got one thing on his mind. I need revenge. That's what's on his mind right now. And on top of that, this guy that, this Arab guy that did that, he goes and he brags about what he did. And some of them kind of take it as a like rallying point. Like he's rallying people up. He's like, yeah, that's what we did. Like, what do you got now? You know? Uh, you know, we're, you got to you're gonna try to compete with our Kaaba. This is what this is what we're gonna do. You know, and when this news hits the streets about these people, you know, bragging and 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 whatnot about what they did and taking credit for for what they did, he set out on a on a mission. And he said, "I'm going to destroy the Kaaba." He said, "I'm going to destroy the Kaaba." They want to defile my cathedral. I'll destroy their Kaaba. And I talked about, you know, how a very subtle, uh, but nevertheless important point that we have to make here that we learn from this is within the etiquette of Islam, within our teachings, we have a truth and we speak our truth. All right. But nevertheless, we have an etiquette within Islam that in speaking our truth or delivering our message, we never ever desecrate. We never violate, we never defile, we never degrade, uh, you know, other people's belief systems or what they might engage in, right? We give them the message, we give them the da'wah, but at the end of the, the day, we leave them be, you know? If you don't want to look at it in terms of, okay, I don't respect what they do and what they worship, that's fine, but we leave them be. 
We let them do them, right? We don't impose uh, our will onto someone and, and definitely we do not mock. We do not mock, we do not defile, we do not desecrate other people's worship, uh, you know, uh, or the worship that they do or how they worship, okay? And this is an established uh, principle. The Quran talks about, uh, you know, do not curse their gods, why? Because they will retaliate. They will then curse Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Right, and they'll do it out of animosity. Allah Subhanahu says adawa, like they'll do it out of animosity that they're going to retaliate. Okay, when 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 somebody pushes you, your first instinct is to do what? Push back. Somebody pushes you, your first instinct is to push back. Sometimes you don't even think where you're at, right, or who it is that's pushing you, or you know what they're doing, or why they're saying, you know what they're saying, or who's around you. you that that stuff is like you're oblivious to all of that stuff. You could literally be in the masjid, and you are the most respectful person. You're a very calm, peaceful individual. That is just your demeanor. But if somebody walks up and shoves you, you know, and shoves you hard, your first instinct is to shove back. And then after you realize, okay, where I'm at, okay, and you realize, okay, you know, I made a mistake. Let me admit that I made mis this mistake. It was just a, a human, a human reaction, right? So Abraha gathers an army. Ibn Kathir, rahimahullah, he mentions in his narration, he said. He had about 60,000 soldiers, okay? And I just want you to get an idea of the sheer number of gathered people here, like of, of, of that number, you know, 60,000. Again, this is a general. This is a military strategist. This is somebody who led a coup against his own leadership. And so obviously he's, he's got the, 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 the military resources and he gathers an army of 60,000 strong. Right, and then it said he actually sends uh, for and recruits an individual, uh, an individual who's what, who's an elephant breeder, okay, an elephant herder, whatever you want to call them, you know, and he recruits this uh, this elephant breeder and he tells him bring your elephants, and he brought about a dozen elephants or so, and he specifically gets them for a couple reasons, okay. Not only because of the sheer power, you know, that an elephant has, it's like literally when you have an elephant, it's like you're rolling in with, uh, you know, 12, a dozen bulldozers, you know, they just stomp over everything. Okay. You know, uh, you, you know, you don't, you don't just, uh, there's no, you just walk through literally, right. You don't have to fight at that point, right. You walk through and it's done. And remember, we're not talking about modern day structures like the structures that we have. We're talking about clay huts, people that used to live in, right? Uh, little homes, little shacks that elephants would just terrorize just walking through, you know? Number two, uh, being a military strategist, he realizes the, the uh, element of human fear, okay? Uh, and something being like alien, okay? He's familiar, but generally, you know, uh, generally speaking, Arab has never seen an elephant before. Okay, it's like seeing an alien, literally. Just the sheer shock. Like they're in the middle of the desert. These are people random in the middle. Of, they don't have elephants there. Okay, like just the random shock. You know uh, that it would it would make people li literally just be shocked and freeze up and run away. You know. 
uh, it would confuse people and have them just like fleeing. And that's exactly what happened in, 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 in many of the cases, right, uh, with the people here when they saw these elephants. And so now he's gone, you know, and he's, he's, he's seen these majestic beasts, like these animals, okay, and he's so familiar, but uh, again, he knows what he's doing. He knows that this is a strategy, uh, you, know, f you know, for these people. They're going to be scared from them, and it's, it's an easy win pretty much, okay? And that was his strategy, and it worked out, you know, uh, well for him to, to an extent. So I was talking about how he gathers all these people together, and he heads out on his way. Now, here's the very uh, interesting thing. Uh, I told you last time that the Quranic narrative in this incident focuses on the decimation of Abraha, right? And his army, right? Just them getting ruined, just Allah destroying them, how they were destroyed, how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent his miraculous our army. Alam tara fa'ala rabbuka bi ashab al-feel, right? In Surah Al-Feel that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala talks about how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sends uh, send, uh, these birds. Uh, they have pebbles and they completely just decimated th that army and destroyed and they were able to defend the, the Kaaba through Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's will, of course. This is the Quranic narrative. From the seerah perspective, it's almost like the seerah, of course, like we understand and I talked about, you know, uh, in the initial sessions, this complements the Quran in our, in our understanding of the Quran. It supplements it. So the seerah narrative focuses on the journey aside from what sparked the journey on the way to, uh, you know, on the way to the Kaaba. And then the Quran gives us a very, very accurate description, a very accurate picture of what exactly happened. Okay. But the journey itself is very important. The journey itself highlights a lot of, 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 of uh, very interesting things. Okay. So Abraha set out on his journey. He starts traveling up north. And of course he's passing by uh, the Arab and then all these different Arab tribes and the cities and locations and towns and people hear about Abraha coming in uh, and coming as well. Uh, and Abraha gathered, you know, this army, 60,000 people. Okay, especially back in those days, that's, that's, that's a crazy number, right? It's gonna be noticed. People are gonna see these people. You know, they're going to see them, uh, you know, they're going to hear them stomping. And, 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 and so these people start to defend them. They start to try to defend themselves. They get ready to defend themselves rather, right? They want to ward these people off. Like what's going on? Like we got to fight him, you know? Uh, why? Because for all the Arab, the Kaaba and Mecca specifically, it was a very sacred place. Even though maybe, yeah, they weren't Muslim at that time or what we understand Islam to be. These are people who worshipped idols. The Kaaba nonetheless was considered the house of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. They knew Allah azza wa jal, but they associated partners with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. If you were to ask them who created the heavens and the earth, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, they said, la Allah. Allah subhanahu wa they know Allah azza wa jal. They, have, they, they, they call out to Allah, but they use these idols as a middleman. They use these idols as, you know, uh, you know, associating partners with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, but the house itself, the Kaaba was sacred to them, right? Uh, it, was, it, was, it was a sacred institution for them. Uh, so they wanted to defend it and, 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 and defend their honor as well. Uh, and so gathering together, they start to rally each other up to defend the Kaaba and to fight against Abraha. Uh, something um, uh, very interesting that one of uh, one thing is mentioned in the narrations is Abraha is traveling, but Abraha 
was a tyrant. Okay, keep in mind by all definitions, he was a tyrant. Uh, and I talked about even when he was building Qulais, uh, Qulais, uh, it was, uh, you know, he was, this guy was crazy. Somebody was late to work, he would literally cut their hands off, right? If they came late to the, the, the construction site, he would chop their hands off. He was, he was a crazy man. He was a tyrant. But at the same time, he was a military strategist, okay? Very intelligent, very smart. But he wasn't bloodthirsty. Okay, there's a difference, there's a difference. He wasn't just outright like, I just want to kill everybody. I'm bloodthirsty. He wasn't like that. Okay. So as he's traveling and he's meeting with these people and talking to these people, he actually uh, would like make time to speak to a lot of the leaders, a lot of the people he would come across. And one of the things that he was telling them was that, you know, why, what exactly happened with Qulais? He was telling people like, look at, this is why I'm doing what I'm doing. You know, your people came and vandalized my, my cathedral, our, our house of worship, okay? You know, so, and, and so one of the things aside from fighting him, they thought, you know, that this was, you know, obviously obligatory to defend the Kaaba and fight him, but some of them kind of even understood why he was there. They understood why he was doing what he was doing, okay? You know, if somebody's done that, would have done that to the Kaaba, you'd be knocking on their door as well. You know, you're going to, you're going to expect, they, they will tell you, you'll expect us at your door as well. If you come and mess with the Kaaba. Okay. But nevertheless, they understood that fighting against him is something that they were obligated to do. You know, it was an obligation to defend the Kaaba, to defend their honor. And, and they knew that this was a sacred place. Um, and it was their responsibility uh, that they had to do. So now he's traveling. Okay. One of the people he comes across is a man. Uh, his name was Dhunafar. Okay, or that's what they call him at least, Dunafar. Okay, and he was a king, like a leader of his people. And these people were located at almost uh, what you could imagine to be the border of Yemen. Okay, uh, and there was a tribe that settled there, and the leader of that tribe, literally, uh, who they saw to be their king, is this this man, Dunafar. Okay. And he gathered his people together and rallied everybody up together and, you know, around the tribe and he gathered together to come and fight Abraha. Okay, Abraha's army literally ran them over. Okay, they were able to defeat them very easily without even, without hesitation. And finally the leader of the army uh, gathered to fight Abraha himself. Um, and, and when he was brought to Abraha, Abraha was about to command like, okay, let's kill this man. And he's like, wait, wait, wait. He's like, listen. He's like, don't kill me because leaving me alive, keeping me with you might end up to be, to be working out for you in your, in, in your better interest, right? I know these people. I know uh, people respect me. People know me. So having me in your possession might actually serve you some good, right? It's, a, it's of benefit for you. Uh, so why don't you think this through? You know, and Abraha, he's, a, he's an intelligent man. He's like, you know what? That makes, that makes sense. He's a strategist, right? So he's like, fine, we won't kill him. Just tie him up and he's a prisoner of war with us. And they proceed to, to move forward. They come across another tribe, another group of people that gathered uh, together. Uh, and the two tribes here, the names of Shahran and Nahiz, okay, they come across them. And they rallied up together uh, by their leader. Um, he's rallied and gathered, uh, uh, their leader was named Nufail. Okay, gathered and these people uh, of these two tribes are trying to fight against Abraha now. Like all these tribes are coming together trying to fight one by one Abraha. 
okay? And of course, Abraha literally walks over their army as well. He destroys them, defeats them, and he takes Nufail as well as his cap, like his prisoner of war. He takes, uh, he takes him. So now he's got these two leaders, Nufail and who? Dhunafar, okay? He's had these, 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 two, these two leaders uh, under his uh, possession. These two leaders who had the courage, who had the audacity to actually fight against Abraha, to stand up against him. You know, he takes them as prisoners of war. Uh, he proceeds on his way. Um, and now he's gaining some reputation. People are hearing who this man Abraha is, right? Uh, you know, it's not just show. He's literally run over several armies now, okay, of, of, of tribes, okay? They're, they're not like little... These people are not, they're not like little speed bumps either, but his army is huge. Okay. 60,000 people. He's going through tearing people up and apart. Uh, so he's developing this, this, this reputation. So he starts to come across more and more out of tribes, more and more of them unwilling to fight him. Uh, they're not resisting. They're giving up. They're surrendering to him, you know, and as he arrives, they're letting him walk right through them, you know, go in, you can pass through. We're not going to fight you. So much so that he comes across Ta'if, okay? Uh, you know, uh, he comes across, uh, he crosses the tail leader of the tribe uh, in Ta'if. His name was Mas'ud, okay? Um, he comes across and Mas'ud comes out to meet Abrahan. He says, you know, we're your slaves. We're, we're surrendering to you. We're at your service, Okay. He says, not only are we your slaves, but we will obey you. We will listen to you. We are at your service. And by the way, we don't disagree with you at all and what you're doing. We are in complete agreement with you. And just so you know, we have no affiliation with, with the house that you're going to destroy. We have no affiliation with the Kaaba, right? We have nothing to do with that. We're... We're, we're our own people, we're, we do our own thing here. And he says, and remember, um, okay, you know, actually I, I mentioned a, a few sessions back talking about the religion of the Arab before Islam, that they were primarily, again, worshiped idols. But then it had kind of escalated. The practice had escalated to the point where they had specific idols. Uh, and just like, you know, the Kaaba had Mecca, the Kaaba was in Mecca, uh, these idols had their own houses. They started building, you know, shrines and sanctuaries and, 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 and just had certain locations for, for these idols. So Ta'if was one of those locations where their major, their major idol, Allat, was, okay? Um, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you know, Allat talks about the idols in Surah Nuh. Uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, mentions that. And, and Allat was in, uh, Ta'if at that time That was the location for their, their, their idol And they built literally like a shrine uh, For it Okay, And he said that uh, where we, This is where we worship We don't worship the Kaaba we don't, we don't have any affiliation We don't go there This is where we are This is where we stay Okay, We have nothing to do with that So feel free to do whatever you want to do uh, He tells him uh, Not only that But I'll one up you He says I I will give you something extra. I will give you uh, literally a human map. This guy, I'm going to give you a guy, he's like a human GPS. Okay, he knows exactly, you know, 
how to go, how to navigate through, you know, the desert. He knows all the roads, all the routes. He knows, you know, not only that, but he, he's literally like a scout. And he, he knows everybody along the way and who lives where. He knows all that stuff. Okay, this guy is your ultimate guide I'm going to give you. So I'm going to send him with you free of charge as a gift just to let you know that we're on the same side here. That you, you know, you can go through our town. Don't hurt us. We're cool. Okay. So he gives them this man. They give him this man. His name is Abu Rigal. I know that I'm throwing a lot of names today. I'm going to test you at the end, inshallah. His name was what? Abu Rigal. Okay. And he says, lead them to Mecca. Go to Mecca. So they head up, you know, on their way now. Okay. And you see like two dynamics of people here. You're seeing, you're seeing some tribes that are starting to stand up to Abraha, fighting against him, uh, you know, obliter uh, obliterated literally by, by their leaders, their kings, their tribes, uh, taking, uh, uh, people taking prisoners of war. Then you find another dynamic where uh, some of the tribes are completely rolling over and letting Abraha pass through, pass by. Not only that, but you know, then you find certain people convincing, uh, you know, the leaders uh, convincing Abraha, we're going to help you even. We're gonna be a, go above and beyond and help you out, right? They're gonna they're willing to work with him uh, to accomplish to help him accomplish his goal of destroying uh, the Kaaba. Okay, so he's on his way and now he's got a guide. He has uh, a guide. What was his guide's name? What? Abu Rigal, mashallah. Uh, his guide Abu Rigal is with him. Okay, they're just chilling now. Okay. So they reach this place outside of Mecca. It's called Al-Mughammas, okay, or Al-Mughammas, okay. It's like a little place, a little landmark outside of Mecca. And they reach this place and the guide Abu Rigal, uh, he ends up dying there. He gets really, really sick, really ill. Um, he catches a fever and he dies. The reason why I mention this is because there's something kind of interesting he dies at this place and he's buried over there. And obviously later on, much later on, uh, you know, after the story's over, we all know the outcome already. The Quran already tells us, right? They were destroyed. So obviously the Arab, they survive and the Kaaba is okay and everything's all right. But guess what? Once everything is said and done, once, once everything's over, now you go back and you check, okay, who did what? Who was on whose side? Who was against who? Who was, who was really our friend? Who was really our foe, right? Our enemy. Uh, and you go back and you check, you know, what, what everybody did during that time. So Abu Rigal, everybody knows, you know, he was one of our people. He's Arab. He's from Ta'if, right? He's an Arab. He did this. He was guiding people here. He was working with them, serving Abraha, serving their king. So they see him as a traitor. He's a traitor. So people know him like this ultimate traitor. Okay. And now he's buried and they go back there, you know, and they find out, you know, he's, he's buried there. He died there. And that becomes a place, you know, uh, like how we go for Hajj and we do Jamarat. We throw stones, you know, uh, symbolically at the shaitan. They go 
uh, to this place and they literally do jamarat on his grave. They throw stones on his grave. They uh, they spit on his grave. They would pour, dump literally animal intestines on his grave. It was a place where you could go and just defile the place and show your disdain for this traitor, this big, big traitor, Abu Rigal, right? Somebody who would turn his back on the house of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Uh, because I told you even, even Isla- pre-Islamic uh, Arabia, they still saw this, the Kaaba as a sacred place, right? Uh, and a man who would turn his back on the house of Allah, uh, on the sacred place, you know, he was a traitor. This was something, this is not something to be taken lightly, right? Uh, and something else interesting uh, that one of the scholars he mentions in, in, in certain narrations, in fact, uh, even Ibn Kathir, rahimahullah, in his book, Al-Bidayah wa Nihayah, he mentions it when talking about the history of the Arab. Uh, you know, the ruins, uh, you know, were still located in the Hijaz, you know, region uh, of, of, uh, of, of which people? Of Thamud, okay? In the Hijaz region, the people of Thamud, who was the prophet that was sent to Thamud? Salih, alayhi salam. Their remains, their ruins were still located, okay, there. So when the prophet, sallallahu was traveling much, much later in his life, okay, years, years later, towards the end of his life, when he was traveling to Tabuk, they passed through the ruins of Thamud. And the Prophet, he covered his face, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. And he started to make istighfar. And he told the Sahaba to ask Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Taala for forgiveness, make istighfar, and ask Allah for safety, ask Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Taala for security. And, uh, you know, this was happening as they were passing by. So we know, uh, you know, the people of Thamud, they were from the Arab, okay? The Arab knew the history of Thamud, okay? Of the people of Thamud. And, and, and the interesting thing is that Ibn Kathir mentions that during that time as well, there was a, nam, uh, a, name, uh, a man by the name of Abu Rigal, all right, amongst Thamud as well, completely different man, but his name was Abu Rigal as well, even in Thamud. And this man was a very notorious individual as well. He was somebody who actually used to discourage people from worshiping, from praying. You know, he was one of the like this the leaders who stood up against uh, you know uh, the prophet. Uh, you know, sallallahu uh, So even the ancient man Abu Rigal, okay, uh, he was also a very you know very bad person. So Ibn Kathir makes this connection here. Okay, and he ended up saying, you know, uh, that what, you know, uh, what ended up happening to him was uh, that because he was such an enemy and he led uh, the people against Salih and the Prophet and the Messenger eventually, uh, you know, uh, the punishment of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala came to, upon these people. Some of the narrations, they mentioned something to the effect that he wasn't killed. He actually wasn't killed along, you know, with the rest of his people during the, during when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent the punishment down to the people of the mood. He, ha- he, he was gone away when the punishment descended and he was one of the few survivors. And, 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 and what ended up happening was that people know later on, um, you know, when people heard this was the man who used to tell his people uh, to not listen to Rasulullah Sallam, uh, to look at the punishment of Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Taala as it's, it's, it's not coming, right? Um, you know, people ended up stoning him. They stoned him to death. Okay, and not only that, 
they they went to his grave and they would stone his grave too. So there was a connection between this Abu Rigal and that Abu Rigal that Ibn Kathir made, which is which is uh, which is uh, interesting, right? Um, so again, he makes uh, he makes that connection. Rahimahullah. Uh, There's we know the spiritual significance from the teachings of uh, you know uh, the prophets. Uh, I mentioned this Abu Rigal because the name itself became something frowned upon. Okay, the name itself, and there's a spiritual connection in this. Like when we name our kids, uh, we name our kids like the Sunnah is to to name your kids with beautiful names, names of the Sahaba, perhaps, right? Um, and why is that the the trait? Part of giving them a good name is like making du'a for your son or your daughter, okay? Uh, to bring about the qualities of these beautiful people that you're naming them after within your child, okay? Uh, so it's like it's a technique. Uh, it's a mo- it's also a motivator for the child. Imagine you're 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 growing up and your name is you know Bakir, right? Or Abu Bakir or Umar. Imagine your name is like something, you know, you know, you have a beautiful companion name. Okay. Uh, you know, if your name was Abu Rigal, they would stone you, you know. So they're like, they're like, give your son or your daughter a beautiful name because this motivates them, number one, to be better. And it's like making dua to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. May Allah allow them to be like this, this individual. This is the sunnah that we take. So Ibn Kathir mentions these, these, these people that Abu Rigal was frowned upon everywhere. Not just even uh, in this situation with Abraha, but even years later with a man that was named Abu Rigal uh, um, in the in the seerah of, of Rasulullah. <clears throat> okay. Moving forward, so now Abraha is in the outskirts of Mecca. That's where we're at. Okay? He's in the outskirts of Mecca. He's parked out there with his army of 60,000 people, a dozen elephants or so. And he's just parked, you know, parked outside there. Uh, he sends an individual man into Mecca, an African man, Habashi. He sends him in and he says, go and find out some stuff, you know, see what's going on, what you can find out, what you know, what's happening there, the leadership. Let me know who they are, you know, how it's set up. Convey my message to people why I'm here. Come back. So he conveys, this guy, he sends out, goes and he he's, he's, uh, sends a, uh, you know, a very uh, specific um, message. Okay, he wants him. He, he Abraham wants him to send the specific message. Let them know that I'm not here to kill you. Okay, this is what this is Abraham's words. I'm not here to kill you. I have literally no interest in killing anyone. I didn't come here to shed blood. I've come here with a very specific purpose, and that's to destroy the Kaaba. That's it. So if you get in, you get out of my way and you don't resist, nobody's going to get hurt. Okay? But if you're in my way, you'll get hurt. I'm going to come inside. I'm going to do what I got to do and I'm going to leave. Okay? I'm, I'm, I came here for a reason and then once I'm done with that, then I'm leave. Okay? Just clear my path. That's my message. He's, he tells his, 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 uh, you know, his messenger, go and, and, and share this message with the, with the people. Let them know why I'm here. <clears throat> and one of the things that ended up happening as the army of Abraha, you know, was camped out. Okay. There's 60,000 people. It's a huge army. So these people, you know, they're, uh, you know, they're 
uh, again, uh, most of the time, like uh, it's they don't end up being the best of people. Okay, so they start to raid places. They start to look food for food. They start to uh, destroy some stuff here and there, and gain some stuff, and raiding houses and few towns and villages. Um, they found a bunch of camels grazing, right? Um, like literally two hundred camels grazing. And it had a shepherd. They killed the shepherd and they took the 200 camels and they brought them back to camp. And they're like, you know, we're about to feast. We're about to have a good time. Um, anybody have camel meat before here? Hashi? Nobody? It's good. It's good. Had a camel burger. Okay. Um, that's besides the point. So now when this man, um, uh, you know, Al-Aswad bin Maqsud, that's his name, the, the messenger that Abraha sent. When he goes into Mecca, uh, he starts asking around. He's like, I need to talk to your leader. Now we know Mecca, the political system before Islam, they didn't necessarily have an elected leader. They didn't have a king, right? Nothing of that nature. So by the default, uh, the leadership, the go-to guy, uh, you know, where everything ended up eventually, you know, uh, like all the issues and final calls ended up with was who? Was the grandfather of Rasulullah Abdul Muttalib. Okay. So they directed him to Abdul Muttalib. They said, go and talk to him. Okay. If anybody, if you, if there's anybody to talk to, it's going to be him. So he says, okay. He goes and he talks to him. He's like, you know, our king says, you know, X, Y, Z. He's not here to kill you. He just wants to destroy the Kaaba. Right. We have our army. We're waiting outside. Um, so Abdul Muttalib says, I need to talk to your king. I need you to set that up. And he's like, okay, I can try. I can, I can try to set something up. And, and actually, first the narration uh, talks about Abdul Muttalib. After talking to this messenger, he goes and he gathers all of the leaders of Mecca, all the leaders of Quraysh. And he, he's like, here's the deal. This is what's going on. They initially, you know, get very excited. They get very riled up. You know, they're like, okay, we're about to go fight him, right? But then they kind of come to their senses and they say, you know, we don't even have the means. We don't have the resources to take Abraha's army on, right? So uh, we don't know what to do. Like, can you go talk to Abdul Muttalib, just reason with him? Or they, 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 Abdul Muttalib is asking them, can you go and reason with, them, with him? And, 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 and they ask him and Abdul Muttalib is like, oh, I'll, go, I'll go, right? Um, so he tells, you know, the man, his messenger, he says, let me talk to your king. That's all I need. Give me like uh, set up a face to face with your king, um, and and we can and we can uh, we can work things out, right? Let's see what where this goes. Okay. Um, what he also does, uh, you know, the man, this man who was the messenger, Aswad bin Maqsud. Okay, he's the messenger. What he does is he goes and he talks to the elephant breeder. Okay, these elephants, remember in the beginning that Abraha brought them, they come with a breeder. Okay, they come with somebody who knows how to work with elephants because these elephants aren't from the area. They come and they travel to Abraha. So he, this is their, 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 the breeder. So the messenger goes and talks to uh, the, the, the breeder of, of, of uh, the elephants here. Okay, and he, and he knows that the breeder is very close to the king. Right, he has like a like, he has an ear with the king. The, the king listens to him. He's close to him, so he tries to get a connect, you know. Uh, and he's like, "Can you set up face to face with with uh, with uh, with your king, you know?" And he's like, "I can, I can, I can make it work, right?" So 
He's like, what I can do, I can try to get you into the door, right? To meet with the king. So Abdul Muttalib, he's again working from a different couple angles here. He finally, you know, hears that, okay, the king wants to talk and Abraha wants to talk. And now, you know, this, bel- this elephant breeder, his name was Unais, okay? This name, remember, we'll talk about him later. His name was Unais, okay? Um, it comes up later in the story. So they get, um, he gets some FaceTime with the king, okay? And now, uh, this is, you know, this is what I was saying. Abraha, while, while being how, you know, uh, the person who he was, you know, however he was, uh, was somebody that who was still willing to talk. He was still willing to dialogue, to have a conversation with somebody, you know. Uh, so he agrees to meet, uh, you know, Abraha agrees to meet with Abdul Muttalib. Uh, Abdul Muttalib walks through the door and Abraha lays eyes on him. And Abdul Muttalib is a very impressive individual, okay? He's like in great physical shape he has a great physical presence he was tall he was broad uh but at the same time he he had this aura about him okay he was a natural born leader this is who he was and obviously as i mentioned previously some of the the scholars they identify him as the last uh, like hunafa the last people who were uh, worshiped you know true christianity Okay, they, this is how he was, uh, he was uh, identified. The last person who was worshiping one God, this is, this is who he was um, uh, properly and, and, and what was like Orthodox Christianity, you could say. Okay, so, so there naturally had to be this certain, you know, just dignity about this individual, uh, you know, about being in, 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 in proper spiritual condition. Just because who he was, what he worshipped, he had a special aura to him, right? Uh, a special presence to to this man. And so, as soon as he walks in through the door, Abraha sees Abdul Muttalib, and instantly he's affected by seeing this man. He's he's just filled with awe and respect for Abdul Muttalib. He looks at this respectful, you know, as uh, him as this respectful human being, right? Uh, you know, this 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 look, you know, again. This man, he's a leader. He sees Abdul Muttalib. He's confident in Abdul Muttalib. So now Abraha wants to show him a gesture of respect. He doesn't want to come and sit, you know, like sit on his throne and you're over there, you know, on the floor and beneath me. So what does he actually do? He comes and sits down on the ground next to Abdul Muttalib. Okay. And, and this is huge within itself, you know, for the king to get off his throne and come sit down on the floor with Abdul Muttalib. Okay. Um, and, and, and he presented him this, this hospitality, this respect uh, for, for, for Abdul Muttalib. He's like, what can I do for you? He starts to talk. He's like, what can I do for you? He's like, you know, you obviously know why I'm here and I'm not going back unless I get, you know, what I want. And he's like, you look like, you know, an impressive, reasonable man, you know, an intelligent man. So you want to talk to me about something. It's, it's something important, something serious. Okay, Abdul Muttalib, he tells him, I own 200 camels and my camels were raided by your people, by your soldiers. And I would really appreciate it if you give me my camels back. Abdul Muttalib tells, tells this to Abraha. So now you can imagine like, you know, you know again, it's an, it's an old story. We all know it, but I mean, try to imagine being in that room, being like a fly on the wall, you know, in that room, right? Just imagine the reaction, 
you would have hearing Abdul Muttalib say that regardless of, of, of what side of the issue you're on, you're against or with, right? If you're an Arab or if you're not Arab, uh, you, you just, you, you want to slap Abdul Muttalib at that point, right? You're like, listen, homeboy, your camels can wait. You know, this is like serious now. Like, what are you talking about your camels, right? You know, there's, we have an entire army, 60,000 people are ready to destroy you guys. And you're talking about your camels here, you know? Um, so now so Abraha is like seeing this guy's like, you know, is he really intelligent as I perceived him to be, uh, you know, and, and really he's like, you know, what? I, don't, I really, uh, I don't really think that we even need to be scared from these people or worry about these people. They don't even get it. They don't get why we're here. And, 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 and I don't think they understand what we're here to do and what we're capable of doing. You know, they seem pretty oblivious to that. So, so everything we heard about these people is, you know, they're saying is right. You know, they're just a bunch of nomads roaming the desert, uh, roaming around. That's who they are. Okay. He's here to talk about his, his camels. This guy's obviously foolish. And, and so Abraha uh, is exactly the same. Abraha tells him and he goes, when you walk through the door uh, or when you walk through the door, I, I was instantly in awe of you. I was impressed by you. I saw, okay, here's this leader. Here's this man. And he said, as, saw, uh, as soon as I saw you, I was actually shocked and surprised by you. I was, I was you know, uh, and now when I hear you talk and you're literally here to talk to me about your 200 camels that you say that we have, you know, and you're not here to talk to me about the sacred house of Allah, the bait, right? Uh, the house that's literally the center point of your religion. Um, of, of the religion of your forefathers, uh, why you're here in Mecca, right? Your whole identity is based off of it. And you're here not to talk about that, but you want to talk about your camels? What's wrong with you? You know? And that's when Abdul Muttalib said these very, very infamous or famous words, um, this famous, beautiful statement. And he said to him, he said, you see what I want you to understand is I own these camels, okay? So they are my responsibility. I'm here to defend my responsibility, my property. But what you are not realizing is that the house that you're about to attack also has an owner, also has a master, and he will take care of it. He will defend it. In fact, Abdul Muttalib, even when, when, when the messenger first came uh, to him in Mecca, right? This messenger that, that Abraha sent came to him in Mecca. He said, look, this is the house. This is Allah's house. If Allah wants to defend it, Allah will defend it. If it's, uh, it's his haram, excuse me, it's his haram. It's his bait, it's his house. But if Allah wants, it, uh, wants to leave it be, then, you know, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, uh, wants to clear a path for Abraha to the bait of the Kaaba, you know, then we can't defend it. Wallahi, none of us can do anything if that's what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants. He said, I swear to God, none of us are capable of doing anything or even protecting this if this is what, uh, you know, is decreed by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, right? It's up to Allah to do what he wants to do. And so Abdul Muttalib tells, tells Abraha this, you know, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will take care of it. And he's like, I'm here not to talk about that. I'm here to talk about my property. So why don't we get on topic again? <laughs> so he gears it back to the camels, right? I'm here to talk about my property. So Abdul Muttalib, he's intelligent. He's confident, right? The, and, and the way that, you know, he speaks, it resonates with people, 
right? And not just for us Muslims, but anybody who has a shred, a shred of, of, of spirituality, a statement like that would resonate with them. It's profound. Like, you know, yo, this guy knows what he's talking about. Like we would say like, yo, that's deep, you know? Mm. You know, uh, you know, he knows what he's saying. So you don't want to, he, he's saying basically, you don't want to go and mess with the Rabb of, of, of the Bayt. You don't want to mess with Allah. But he said, if you want to try, be my guest. Nobody's, nobody's stopping you, right? And, 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 and it looks like, you know, uh, you know, uh, again, he, he, he's telling him just straight up forward. And Abra has taken back a little bit, you know. He's like, you know what? He's like, nothing can stop me. What do you mean? He's like, what's going to stop me? Do you see my army? Do you see my elephants? Do you see what's going to stop me? He's like, are you kidding me? Abdul Muttalib says, okay. You and Allah, you take it up with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Don't ask me, right? I'm not going to stop you. It's between you and, 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 and Allah. It's none of my business. Okay. So he gives, uh, he gives actually Abdul Muttalib his camels back. And he said, here, take your camels. Right, uh, you know, this is this is what you said. We raided you. Take your camels, bring them, give them to him. And Abdul Muttalib heads back to uh, back to town, and he gets back to Quraysh, and he tells him exactly what happened, and he also lets uh, lets him know that uh, this man's not going to back down. Right, he tells them Abra is not backing down. This man's not here to reason. He's not here to talk. He's not backing down. I advise you all to clear out of Mecca and evacuate Mecca. We'll take a break, inshallah, and we'll continue after uh, the rest of the story after Bismillah So, Abdul Muttalib tells the people of Mecca, evacuate Mecca, they leave Mecca, they head up to the mountains, they camp out in the mountains of Mecca, and they just wait for the storm to blow over. Um, and as they're leaving, Abdul Muttalib goes to the door of the Kaaba. Okay, he goes to the door of the Kaaba. He do, he holds the handle of the Kaaba of the door, and he says some words. It's almost like a, a, a supplication, a du'a, but it's beautiful poetry. Okay, and he says, "Oh Allah, stop them, stop them, because any man, right." Your slave, a human being, if somebody tries to attack his home, his property, he defends it. So Allah, please defend your home. Uh, and what's interesting, uh, he calls the haram in this poetry, he calls it hilal. Okay. Um, which is very interesting because the haram is called haram for a reason. I mean, haram means sanctuary. Okay. Uh, it's something sacred. Okay. There are certain things that are not allowed there or allowed to happen there within the haram. It's prohibited. It's haram. Okay, um, uh, in this in the sanctuary in the sanctuary. But for Allah Subhanahu wa Taala, He calls it hilal, right? It's permissible. Okay, um, and it's it's the only one that everything and anything is permissible. Allah Subhanahu wa Taala is the only one that everything and anything is permissible for. So he says, so please defend your place, defend the sacred sanctuary. Oh Allah, do not let the cross dominate here. Uh, you know, that they're Christians, they've, they've come here. Don't let the religion overtake the religion that is meant to be here. And then he says, all of their enemies or their energies are being focused 
and, and, and being directed in animosity against you. They're attacking you, O oh Allah. They're not just attacking a structure. They're not just attacking four walls. They're attacking you, O oh Allah, with all their might and all their energy. If you decide that you want to leave them be and you want to leave the Qibla as it is, you want to just not interfere between them and let them have their way with the Kaaba, then O oh Allah, you know what's best. We trust you, but I'm here to make an appeal. Uh, please defend it. And this is a, 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 a script in poetry, a very beautiful in Arabic that he, that he recites, okay? Holding the handle uh, you know, of, of, the, of the door of, of the Kaaba. And they leave the Kaaba, they leave Mecca, they evacuate. Abraha approaches towards Mecca. He's walking into Mecca with his army. And something very interesting happens. One of those leaders, you know, that was taken prisoners of, 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 of war, right, that he took, uh, who had to originally tried to fight against Abraha. This is where you see the difference between men, the difference between men, right? Some of the uh, of them, and 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 we, you know we have the famous analogy by uh, Ali, radiAllahu uh, anhu, right? Uh, the famous example he said between you know the white ox and the black ox, and 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 when one of them sells the other one out, uh, then we eventually you know when the lion or the tiger comes to eat the other ox, he says that a while you know while I was done, right? The day that I gave the other one up to you. Uh, when you sell another one of your people out, that's the day that you've died, actually. When you sell somebody out, somebody who is amongst you. You know, he gives this analogy. He said, basically, you sold yourself out, right? You sold yourself out. So, so those people from a ta'if, they're willing to sell uh, the people of Mecca out, right? They're like, whatever, right? We'll provide you directions, uh, give you, we'll navigate you towards there, help you get there, whatever. But when there were some people who stood up, they were very successful, okay? Or at least it didn't seem like they were successful, um, you know, or they weren't very successful, I'm sorry, when they, when they, when they stood up. Uh, they, got, they got scared and, 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 uh, from Abraha and, and the large numbers. And it didn't, it didn't seem like they were successful deep down, but they stood up and, and they stood their ground and they tried to do what they could, right? Uh, there was some honor there again, some dignity. Some, uh, so one of those people, was the man that we called, we said his name was Nufail, one of the leaders, who had gathered an army together and tried to fight against Abraha. He was defeated. Um, Nufail had been hanging around the elephant breeder. Okay, he was close to the elephant breeder. Remember I said, remember his name? What was his name? Uwais. Not Uwais, that's Uwais. Unais. Unais. Close though. <laughs> what was that, Hanan? Did you say that? Yeah. Oh, okay. Uh, <laughs> um, <clears throat> Unais, okay, he was chilling with him for, for, for some time, this whole time that he was stuck with him. You know, he's been hanging around with him, listening to him. He picked up how this guy was able to communicate with the elephants, um, how he was able to get their attention. You know, uh, he's, a, he's a smart man, right? He's a leader of his people, right? So he's, he, 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 was, he was very easily able to pick this up. So the army's about to depart. So Unais, or not Unais, Nufail goes on uh, the biggest, the largest elephant, okay? And it was actually interesting, the elephant in the narration is mentioned, his name was Mahmoud, okay? Anybody named Mahmoud here? <laughs> his name was Mahmoud, okay? So Mahmoud is the elephant, the largest elephant, the elephant that Abraha rides, okay? 
So he was given this name, and this elephant was revered. It was it was huge, right? Has anybody ever seen an elephant up front? And I'm not talking about like Brookfield Zoo here. Like you went to Thailand and saw anybody? Nobody. Okay, inshallah one day. Um, so this was this was this was big. Okay, uh, so he gets up to this 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 elephant Mahmoud. Okay, and. He gets his attention and he does something very interesting, you know, uh, and, and this is where you see divine intervention start starting to begin, right? We, Allah uses us as tools, but it's the, really the work of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that, that takes place here. So in the narration, he, um, Nufay lifts the, the ear of the elephant and he speaks to the elephant and he starts talking to this animal, right? And he says, listen, you're about to go and attack the house of Allah. This, this belongs to the creator, to my creator. You're about to go and to your creator and you're about to go and attack this place, the land, the house that belongs to our creator. Understand what's going on here. So sit down, don't move. In Arabic, he says, Ubruk, right? Stay, sit down, right? Ubruk comes from the term that was commonly used as, you know, the, the Arab used to say, Buruk al-Ibl. Right, uh, referring to a very distinct behavior in regards to camels, because the Arab worked with camels. So, what does that mean? Camels, camels are like dogs, okay, in, in in the sense of their loyalty. Okay, they're very loyal. They're very compassionate. They're very sentimental. Okay, um, it's just like a dog, right? Uh, you know how a dog is close to his master. Camels are like that. When a, when 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 he grows up, when a camel grows up with a child. It'll run around with that child. It'll play with that child. It'll sit next to the child like a dog would sit next to his master. It acts literally like a like a uh, like a puppy, and a camel will act that same way. But it's actually very affectionate. That's a better word to use. It's a, it's it's affectionate. Okay, but it's kind of different than a dog, um, in the sense that a camel um, is very noble and it's very honorable. Right? It has honor. Like almost like Shayef Hadashway, okay? It has honor, okay? So if you abuse a dog, a dog will get scared and a dog will listen and, and it will take the, the abuse. But a camel won't tolerate it. A camel won't take it. A camel, a camel, like you mess with it, a camel will just sit down and will refuse to stand up and you can do whatever you want, refuse to stand up, like kill me, I don't care. Do what you want, I'm, I will not get up, right? Um, so this is this is uh, this is this is like the mentality of of of, of the camel. Like I'll ignore you. I, I don't I don't care. Right? It's not going to break. So it's a very distinct behavior. So he tells him, uh, uh, being a, being a, uh, being Arab, he says, "Ubruk, sit down." Um, Kais, if you can turn off the the speaker, so I just have enough time, uh, inshallah, before salah to finish. He tells him, uh, to, he tells the, the camel to sit down, okay, or I'm sorry, the elephant to sit down, just like he would tell the camel to sit down. Um, and he says, go back to where you came from. Don't come in this land, okay? And the narration, it says that the elephant Mahmoud sat down and just parks it. And when they were ready to get up and move, they, they, they couldn't go anywhere. They couldn't leave. The, am the animal was not moving. And he's like, this was something very strange. So Abraha says, go and call Go and call, uh, you know, uh, your leader. Go and call the the breeder here, Unais. Tell him to do something. Do you know? Get this animal, this elephant going. You know, we gotta go. You know, 
one of the scholars in his books, he mentions that, you know, he didn't, you know, uh, not only just did he sit down, but he laid down on his side, this elephant. Like, he's like, I'm chilling, murtah. Okay. <laughs> you know, this big elephant is like, I'm not going anywhere. Okay. So, basically, Unais comes and tries to, you know, fix what's going on. Like, see what's wrong with this elephant. Abraha is furious at this moment. He's angry. He's like, I can't leave. He's like, my elephant's not even going anywhere. He's like, you know. So, uh, Unais starts doing all the tricks in the book and try to get this elephant to move and he won't get up. So he finally says he's like something spooked this elephant, you know he's spooked he's he's scared, right? So he's like let's try something different. So right now the elephant is facing towards the Kaaba, he's not walking. So he's like let's turn him around. So as soon as he turns him around, he stands up and he starts to walk the opposite way of the Kaaba. Then he turns him back towards the Kaaba, and he'll sit down. Subhanallah. And then he's like, okay, let's try this again. So he gets him up, points him in the direction away from the Kaaba, opposite of the, the Kaaba. He stands up and he starts walking. Then he turns him, tries to pull him and tug him. And, 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 and literally, uh, you know, they start literally throwing hooks in the, ele the elephant's belly, torturing this elephant to try to get him to, uh, to move, injuring the elephant, right? Um, and he would refuse. He would sit down and, and lay down and he would not get up, okay? This is, this is again... Being stubborn, uh, that, that where that, that, that term comes, buruq al-ibl, being stubborn as a, as a camel, uh, you know, this is, this is where they got it from. Uh, and this elephant just became super stubborn. Uh, next time, inshallah, we're going to bring a camel here, inshallah. Noor has some connections, inshallah, in the back. Uh, she's going to bring us a, a camel so you guys can see how stubborn they are. Um, so he's like, didn't you, uh, you know, like seeing this, seeing this happen is completely bizarre to Abraha, bizarre to Unais, right? And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions this in, in, in Surah Al-Fil. And he talks about us, and we know the picture. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions this. Do you not see how your Lord, how we managed, how we handled, how we took care of the companions of the elephants? And then tells us exactly what happened, right? So we know that you know, the, these, there were very small, small birds that came, right? That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala meant that they're equivalent to like what we would call sparrows, okay? Um, a lot of narrations, Ibn Kathir mentions, right? About these, these very exotic birds and these small birds and how they looked and, and, and what they were like. And some of the narrations give us an impression that they weren't ordinary birds, right? Uh, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent. Uh, they were very unique uh, with a specific purpose, uh, you know, and Allahu Alam, uh, exactly. Uh, we have some narrations. Some of some of them are authentic. Some not so much. But we we do know that the word of the Quran uses Allah uses ababil, right, to describe these birds. And Ibn Kathir, uh, you know, mentions a lot that again they were. Uh, there's a lot of very exotic narrations and weak and unreliable narrations, but. Ababil is the term that was used And the ancient, the classical Arab They used this term for like small, small birds Okay, that again That we would consider the, like similar to sparrows uh, and, and they would use it for that type of, uh, of bird So they come in the direction As mentioned, uh, you know As more on Thudtik generations That's the narration that's mentioned Is they come from the seaside You know, closest to, you know, the sea uh, From there coming to Mecca and, and later after this happened, 
Quraysh, they went and asked the, the different tribes, like, did you guys see those birds? Did you guys see those birds? And they went from one tribe to another tribe, all the way, literally up into the, the seaside where the tribes used to be, some of the tribes. And they said, did you guys see birds? And they're like, yes, they came literally from nowhere. They came from the sky and they filled up the entire sky, right? And they just flew over us. And it was something, you know, uh, you know, subhanAllah, very miraculous just, just seeing that, right? That these birds come out of the blue. You know, from over the ocean and they just fly right over uh, into Mecca. And on top of that, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions that they had stones. And the narration mentioned that these are very, they were very, very tiny stones, like pebbles that they were holding, like literally the size of like a chickpea, okay? Um, and it mentions that they were holding three stones, one in their, each of their claw and one in their beak that they were throwing. And they were, they would come and over the, the, the army of Abraha, Allah sent them and literally, uh, decimated, destroyed, obliterated, uh, obliterated the, uh, the 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 army of of Abraha, right? And what exactly happened though? What happened, right? What is like you know? Does uh, these people are gonna these sixty thousand people are gonna die from like a pebble? You know, we hear stories about that. You never heard like you know if you drop a penny from the Sears Tower and it falls on somebody, they're gonna die or something like that. Anybody ever hear that? We don't know if it's true. I mean, I don't think we should try it. But um, but uh, you'd you'd have to have like some sort of physicist here or something like that that knows what they're talking about. Um, we don't really know, but 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 we know that there was this was besides from a like a physics perspective of it being dropped from a very large uh, like you know high and like and the the velocity and whatnot. Um, uh, this was something divine. Right, that it was mentioned that these these this was something supernatural. That when these pebbles were dropped, it didn't just you know hurt people or kill people. It literally it would uh, it would uh, pierce through people's skin. It would pierce through people's limbs. Uh, they, they would fall off, as it was mentioned in the narration. Right, it wasn't just stones falling from the sky. They were literally like bullets. Right, that were flying fast and flying hard right over them, uh, literally burning through these people. Burning through a herd of elephants um, and 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 c- uh, cutting off the, literally their limbs right on the spot, and and so there's actually uh, you know narration that mentioned that it was completely just you know decimating that there was something miraculous happening here. Uh, they're dying right in front of us like crazy death, like something that's like so bizarre. We knew this was from Rabbul Alameen. This was from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, right? These weren't just pebbles that were falling from, from, from the sky, right? That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, but it was something, something nonetheless divine, okay? So literally their army is falling left and right. And Abraha's army is falling. They start to retreat back. And something very specifically that the narration mentioned is that not everybody was killed, okay? Why? So people can... Some people can be left to go back and tell the story, tell people what happened. And this became like a huge legend. Like, you know how you hear like uh, folk t- tales and stuff like that and stories and, you know, are they true? Or not? This became a huge legend during that time, right? Uh, that pe- and Allah wanted people to know that the Kaaba is untouchable. You cannot touch the Kaaba, you cannot destroy the Kaaba. This was this was divine uh, intervention that happened here that Allah saved the Kaaba a miraculous event that happened right again occurring subhanallah this is this is like the important part one of the important parts occurring 
literally months, two months before the birth of the Prophet ﷺ, before Rasulullah was born. And you have all of this respect, all of this aura being restored to Mecca, being restored to the Kaaba, right? Uh, two months before the birth of Rasulullah This is very strategic timing, right? This is very particular, okay? That this is happening right before the, the, the birth of Rasulullah that people are seeing the Kaaba. Like Allahu Akbar, Allahu okay. Akbar. What happened to Abraha? The narration mentioned that Allahu he, he, he was able to retreat back and eventually uh, it was shown to the people, it was shown to the people that, that these stones when you would get hit by them it wasn't like they were in the So much so that Abraha, by the time he got back home, he was a vegetable. His body began to literally uh, People saw, people saw that he was, this was, this is Abraha. He's to humiliate him for what he wanted to do. Yeah, so so you see how <laughs> elaborate <laughs> not by anybody else, by Allah. Right? This ended up being uh, d- defining the generation. That generation defined like, oh, do you remember Amal Feel? How many years before Amal Feel? As I mentioned, it restored the Allah aura of respect back for, for Mecca, back for Allah. the haram uh, for Mecca at that time. And, and, and it was something, you know, beautiful. People's faith was rejuvenated, was revived, right? La uh, in la in very, very uh, uh, strategic by the, the part of Allah. An interesting narration by Aisha. And I'm about to end. Uh, Aisha is born like 40 years plus, right after Amalfil, 
after the year of ele- the elephant. So I want you to imagine how much later, again, she's born. And she says, not only was the story of the invasion of the army of the elephants famous for how Allah defended the Kaaba, but she said that the man who was the elephant breeder, Unais, him and the other guy, his assistant, he had an assistant that he worked with, um, the elephant breeder Unais and, and, and his assistant, they were still in Mecca 40 years later. And we know people who used to see them. And she said, I seen them with my own eyes and they had gone blind and they were literally beggars on the street, like in humiliation for what they did. This is like the effect of uh, that, you know, uh, that carried alongside them all their lives because of, 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 of what they did. And, and it reflected upon who these people, uh, who these people were. Right. One narration, uh, you know, again mentions that. Uh, imagine the scene of all these bodies laid up in, in in Mecca, literally thousands of bodies, elephants, huge elephants, just in the middle of the streets of Mecca. Right. Allah Subhanahu wa Taala sends a flood, a flash flood that removed and cleaned out the entire city of of Mecca, um, and 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 this was ready for the Meccans to come back after their retreat. They came back and the, the city was cleaned up after this flood uh, happened, right? Um, and this occurred in the beginning of the year. This occurred in Muharram, which is the first uh, lunar month of the calendar to state that this is this is at the beginning of the year. It's like a new year. This is a new month of Muharram. Uh, and we know it uh, that, the, uh, you know, uh, depending on the narration, but anywhere between 50 to 60 days after this event happened, Rasulullah was born. People were prepared. People had love for the Kaaba again. Their faith was rejuvenated. Their faith was revived. They knew this was a sacred place. And Allah is foretelling us something big is about to happen. Something big is about to happen. Rasulullah is known. He was born two months after what? They don't say after he was born two months after any, they say he was born two months after Amul Fil, a day that is still known today. Don't ever try to mess with the Kaaba. Don't ever try to mess with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will send something great and something big. Um, and Allah is about to do that. And inshallah, next time we speak, we'll begin the conversation of the parents of Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam, may Allah subhanahu wa taala allow us to implement what we learn. May Allah subhanahu wa taala allow us to increase us in beneficial knowledge. Bi idnillahi taala. Hada wallahu taala a'la wa alam. Wa sallallahu alaihi wasallam. Barak al habibina wa nabi Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wasallam. Jazakum Allah khairan. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah.